more of an idea of what he is like and why he's writing the way he is. So, but let's just start with a prayer. Lord, we do thank you for bringing us all here. We do thank you that your word is here in front of us. We do pray that you will help me to convey your word to everyone here. And Lord, that it will be you speaking through me. Lord, guide me. I do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And since I don't do this too often, and I'm not sure exactly how good I am going to be to, you know, uh, get done in time and whatever else, I wrote everything out and I'll be reading it all. Just then I know that I get everything said I want to get so said and I'm not going to go on forever and not be able to stop. So, so it, it might be, be long enough as it is, so um, we'll, we'll try that. So. Um, so the sun is shining, the birds are singing. You're laying on the hillside listening to all the sounds around you. You can hear the sheep and lambs bleeding every now and then and they're munching of grass. You're listening for any sounds of predators and sitting up every now and then to check if anything is creeping up on the sheep and also to see if all the sheep stays close. You feel in tune with God being out in his creation, knowing he is here with you, helping you in your job as a shepherd, giving you the skill to keep the sheep safe and thriving. So that's the way I kind of look at David in his young years. I can kind of connect with him because I've been had, you know, been a farmer and been with livestock, so that's kind of the, the way that I look at him. But how did David become the man after God's heart? First Samuel 13, 14 says. So 1 Samuel 13, 14. And it, it's God speaking. No, it's actually Samuel speaking to, um, to Saul. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. So that is Samuel speaking about David. And that's the only place I could find when I looked that it actually says, we always said about David being the man after God's own heart. And I thought it was easy to find, but it was, that was the only one I could find. So. so David stood out to God at a young age. I'll figure something between 14 and 20 years old. Had he heard the family stories of his upright grandfather, Boaz, and great-grandmother, Ruth? Was he told how Ruth was faithful to God by being faithful to her mother-in-law, and God's leading in her being redeemed by Boaz? How and what was different about David versus his brothers? What made him more after God's heart than his brothers. Did the responsibilities of tending the sheep aid him in becoming the boy or the man he was? So just on a little side note, I was just overseas 
And when I went over there, I thought of before I left, I never really knew my dad's salvation story. So I asked him when I visited him in the beginning of June. So none of his family was believers, but in the state church at the time, more or less everyone baptized their children. And then in grade seven, you took confirmation classes. And in the spring, you confirmed that you accepted the decision your parents took for you to baptize you as an infant. The confirmation classes got my dad interested in church and the Bible. He kept, kept going to church in the coming years as he began to work as a hired hand on different farms. When he was 20 years old, he came to work for my mother's uncle, which was close to my mother's family's farm. And every Sunday evening, the two families met together to sing hymns, and hired hands and all came along. So it was a big, you know, just like almost probably as a half of this church than when these two families met together. And at the same time, the young adults at that time in the Christian circles played handball and had leagues in all small towns where the Christians met. And each game ended kind of like what, you know, many um, Christian circles do here. They ended with a devotion and a song. So all through that, my dad's faith slowly grew. There was never a certain moment that he could point to, but more of a curiosity with church and the Bible that grew into a strong faith. So thinking of David, I see my dad a bit as David. It's kind of similar. They were both drawn to the truth. They were humble and trusted God for strength and direction could not stand God's name misused and gave glory, gave God glory for their blessings. Their missions in life was different. God wanted David to be the king for his people. God wanted my dad to be a husband, father, grandfather, and great-grandfather that gently showed God's love to his family, but also to the community in which he had lived for over 60 years, where he became well-respected and loved by all. So with that introduction, we're going to look at Psalm 18. But before we do that, Psalm 18 is kind of hooked to 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19 to 27, which was written as a tribute to honor Saul and Jonathan, mostly, I guess probably for all Saul's sons, but it was mostly Jonathan. So I'll just read that first, and with that, it, it kind of gives us two aspects of, you know, just seeing how, how David is, is honoring the anointed, but he still sees, when we go to 18, he sees how the anointed has actually been a little bit of a, an enemy to him. So, But he's still giving full honor to where it's... it's, it's um, need to be. So first, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. Your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. Do not announce the news in Gath. Don't proclaim it in the streets of Ascalon. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, and the pagans will laugh in triumph. O mountains of Gilbo, let there be no dew or rain upon you. 
nor fruitful fields producing offerings of grain. For there the seal of the mighty heroes were defiled. The seal of Saul will no longer be anointed with oil. The bow of Jonathan was powerful, and the sword of Saul did its mighty work. They shed the blood of the enemies and pierced the bodies of mighty heroes. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. They were swifter than the eagles, stronger than the lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in luxury, scarlet clothing, in garments decorated with gold. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of women. Oh, how mighty heroes have fallen. Stripped of their weapons, they lie dead. So that's the honor that David gives to Saul and to Jonathan. And then we go around and see how he was actually feeling about that same moment or a few days before that. So Psalm 18 tells the story of how David felt as a fugitive and how he got his strength from God. For a year and four months, David lived in Philistia after the time where David spared Saul's life. So the last time where David spared his life, and that's mentioned in 1 Samuel 27 verse 1, but we won't go there. But really what David's problem was, he was afraid. He figured that eventually Saul was going to get him. So he went to to the Philistines, so he got in with Achish, the king of Gath, and he gave David and his 600 men the town of Ziklag. David did raids into the territory south of Judah and brought back livestock and plunder every day to King Achish, but telling him that it was in southern Judah, he was raiding not south of Judah. So he was, you know, kind of telling him a lie. After a good year of that, King Achish wanted David to go with him in battle against Israel and King Saul. But the other Philistine rulers did not want David along. So Achish asked David politely to go back to Ziklag, and David did. Getting back to Ziklag, David and his 600 men found Ziklag burnt to the ground and all their families and livestock gone. The Amalekites had come and carried it all away. So while Achis and the Philistines went to war against Saul and killed Saul and his three of his sons, David pursued the Amalekites that had taken all of his and his men's families and livestock. And for about a day and a half, David and some of his men fought against the Amalekites and destroyed them and got back everything the Amalekites had taken from Ziklag. So David and his men and all their families went back to Ziklag, and on the third day in Ziklag, a man from Saul's camp arrived in Ziklag to tell David about Saul and his son's death. That is when David composed the funeral song that we just read. But this Psalm 18 is telling about how he felt. And that's, of course, one of the longest psalms of David, and it can be divided up into nine stanzas. A lot of David's psalms are similar and are laid out somewhat the same as the Lord's Prayer in the way that there are praises both at the beginning and at the end of the psalms. And God's 
attributes, greatness, and character are being mentioned or explained or proclaimed. Confession, requests, cries for help, or many other emotions are then filled in between the two ends of praise. So the nine stanzas, if you're writing, I'll, I'll read that up, kind of how I divide it up, and then I'll go through it later. The nine stanzas I follow, the first three verses, a praise. Verse four to six, David is feeling overwhelmed. Verse seven to 15, David sees God's greatness. Verse 16 to 18, explains God's rescue. Verse 19 to 24, David is kind of trying to explain the reason for the rescue. And verse 25 to 29 is giving some of a good, good explanation of God's character. And verse 30 to 45, David receives his strength from God and he explains how. And then 46 to 50 is the praise again. So we won't read through the whole psalm at the beginning here because it's just going to take too long. So I'm going to read every verse every time just before I, I uh, explain about that, that section. So first we'll read the first three verses of, this, of chapter 18 of Psalms. And it says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called on the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. David makes it clear that God is the one that gets all praise. David would be nothing and able to do very little without God. David finds his strength, his protection, and his safety in God. Without God, he would, have been, he would not have been saved from his enemies. And we'll read verse 4 to 6. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wraps its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to the Lord God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. David puts to words how he was feeling. Maybe when he came back with his men to Ziklag and everything was gone and burnt to the ground. In 1 Samuel 30, says that his 600 men blamed David, that their families had been led away by the Amalekites, so he was a little bit in a tight spot. And, but then in 1 Samuel, and I think we'll go to that, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30, verse 7 and 8, it just tells what, what he did. So verse 7 and 8 in chapter 30 of 1 Samuel. Then he said to Abitar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abitar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after his, this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David reached out to God for direction, and God answered, yes, go after them, and you'll recover everything that was taken from you. 
so he didn't he didn't stand around very long feeling sorry for himself or afraid of his his guys he did something about it okay so then we'll continue from verse 7 to 15 then the earth quaked and trembled the foundation of the mountains shook they quaked because of his anger smoke poured from his nostrils fierce flames leapt from his mouth Glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angelic being, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, wielded his approach with dark rain clouds. Thick clouds sealed the brightness around him and rained down hail and burning coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded amid the hail and burning coals. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies. Great bolts of lightning flashed and they were confused. Then at your command, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen and the foundation of the earth were laid bare. I'm not sure if verse 7 to 15 describes how it really happened or if it was how David saw God. Was it how David saw God help him completely destroy the Amalekites? Or was it how David saw God in the fight between the Philistines and King Saul and Israel? It does describe well that David sees God as all-powerful and ought to be feared by his enemies. <clears throat> but at the same time have a reverent fear for all who trust in God. We still need to fear him, but it isn't a fear as his enemies. It's a reverent fear of God. He is our God. Verse 16, 16 to 19. <clears throat> he reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. So verse 16 to 19, it could easily be the feeling David had when he came back to Ziklag after destroying the Amalekites and getting all his and his men's families back, including their possession and livestock, plus a little extra plunder. According to verse 17, we can see that David fully believes that it was with God's power that he accomplished what he did. Verse 18 gives us another good insight into what we can learn from David. <clears throat> when we feel we are in distress, and one bad thing after another happening to us, how do we feel? Where do we turn for to for help? Do we complain? Do we get discouraged? Do we feel sorry for ourselves? Look how David sees it. The Lord supported me. Do you believe God is there in your distress? There to give you strength. There to fight for you and win your battles. To support you 
carry you? I can tell you. God is there and want to support you in your distress. He will give you strength and he will fight with you in your battles. For what I'm sharing with you from verse 19, I got my inspiration from David Jeremiah of Turning Point, pastor of Seattle Mountain Community Church. He's been teaching about David from 1 Samuel for the last many weeks on the radio, and I've kind of picked up a few inspirations from him. Verse 19 says, God led David to a place of safety. God rescued David because he delighted in David. So what has David been up to for the last 16 months? First, he did not trust God to take care of him in Israel. So he fled to live in Philistia, Israel's enemy territory. Didn't really look like David trusted God. David had been living a lie, deceiving King Achish to think that David's raids were done in Judah's territory. Then going along with King Achish's request to go into battle against Israel along with King Achish too. Does that look like someone who the Lord would delight in? What is it about David that makes him a man after God's own heart? David had a soft heart that could be molded by God. It doesn't mean that David never did anything wrong. He was still human. He got depressed, got afraid, not thinking wisely, and thus doing stupid things. But when it got pointed out, he was ready to admit his guilt. And just the one that kind of came to my mind was from Psalm 51. And we'll just go to there and have a look at what he says there. And we'll read the first five verses. Have mercy on me, God. Has mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. That was the difference between Saul and David. Saul had a hard heart. God will lead us to a place of safety when we ask him to be involved in our lives. God delights in us, all of us, you and me, more than we can understand. 
God created us. He wants the best for us. But if you don't have a soft heart that God can mold, we get to go our own way with the hard heart that cannot be molded by God. Okay, we'll read verse 20 to 24. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed all his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. I have a hard time putting my name into these five verses. I have not always done right. I'm not innocent. I don't always keep the ways of the Lord. I'm following God, but I'm far from perfect. I fall short every day in following God's regula uh, regulations. The one that came that comes to mind first is not loving his daughter, my wife, as God loves her. I cannot say I'm blameless before God. I fall short again and again. I often feel I do more wrong than right. The one true statement, last in verse 24, is only because Jesus is shed blood that God does see me as innocent. Through Jesus' blood, God sees me as innocent. And verse 25 to 29, I'm not really going to comment much on them. I'll just read slowly and let them speak to you to give you strength. So it talks about God. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, integrity you, show you, you show integrity. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself screwed. You rescue the humble, but you humiliate, you, you humiliate the proud. You light a lamp for me. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. And then we'll continue into verse 30 to 36. <clears throat> God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who looks to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God arms me with strength, and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountains' heights. He, train, he trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. 
You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. God's way is perfect and the Lord's promises prove true. But he is only a shield for those who look to him for protection. He gives us strength only if we let him work through us. If we are not the open vessel that he can work through. And again, think of the moldable heart, soft heart. Then we will not receive the strength he wants to give us. If we have a hard heart, we are doing it all on our own. With a soft heart, we will have unlimited strength because we tap out of God's strength. Where we go is perfect because God is leading. We are confident because we don't need to second guess if we're doing the right thing when God is leading us. The sky is the limit for what we can get accomplished. With God's leading, guiding, and holding us, we are sure to get it right and have victory in all we do. We feel sure-footed and are confident in the direction we are going. Okay, and then we'll uh, read 37 to 45. I chased my enemies and caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I struck them down so they could not get up. They fell beneath my feet. You have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. You have placed my foot on their necks. I have destroyed all who hated me. They called for help, but no one came to their rescue. They even cried to the Lord, but he refused to answer. I ground them as fine as dust in the wind. I swept them into the gutter like dirt. You gave me victory over my accusers. You appointed me me ruler over nations. People I don't even know now serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they submit. Foreign nations cringe before me. They all lose their courage and come trembling from their strongholds. I can imagine verse 37 to 42 could describe what went on the 16 to 20 hours. David and his 400 and 400 of his men destroyed the Amalekites to get the families back. Who is David giving credit to? for all that was accomplished. Like he said, you armed me with strength. You subdued my enemies. You placed, placed my foot on, my, on, on their necks. You gave me victory over my accusers. God is getting acknowledged for all of it. David knows he would have been powerless without God giving him the strength. 
Now verse 43 to 45, the last three verses we read there, to me seems to talk more about David's kingdom, how it grew in the coming years of his reign. It doesn't quite, for me, fit in with, you know, talking about his, his fight with the Amalekites there, so I'm not, not sure about that, so you'll have to just get your own idea on that one. For so verse 46 to 50, the Lord lives, praise to my rock, may the God of my salvation be exalted. He is the God who pays those who harm me. He subdues the nations under me and rescues me from my enemies. You hold me safe beyond the reaches of my enemies. You save me from violent opponents. For this, O Lord, I'll praise you among the nations. I will sing praise to you, to your name. You give great victories to your king. You show unfailing love to your anointed. To David and all his descendants forever. <clears throat> so it's important with, to end with praise. And like David is many times good at it. You know, it's not all his psalms that does, but <clears throat> quite a few of them does. But for all of you who attended the marriage workshop last November, do you remember how we were told to go about talking about tension and request aspects in our marriage? We were to sandwich the request between two positive praises of our spouse. So it isn't just all negative. You start out praise, and then you put in that little negative stuff that you want to correct, and then you praise again, because then the whole situation gets to look positive. We need to do that too in our relationship with God. Start and end with praise. God is worthy of praise. Many times it's the request part that we're there for, but don't forget the praise. God wants to receive our praise. He's longing for our praise. And we have to do that. So let's, let's praise the Lord. Lord, we do thank you that you are our God. You are our Savior. And Lord, we do thank you too for your, for your creation and for, for watching over us. And for keeping us safe day in and day out. Lord, we do thank you for your provision. We do praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.